0: So, Patty, in the episode today, we really dig deep into generating referral relationships. Now, yes. we've had podcast uh, episodes in the past that I thought were fantastic, that were much more at a higher level. Mm-hmm. This one is very much down into the weeds of this is what you do. And yeah. we we kick it off with a great interview with uh, Joan Winnington from Metro Payment Technologies. Yes. Um, she's spent 19 years doing this.
1: Yes, and she's she's been so successful. And I think her advice was really helpful any iso or yes. agent out there that wants to do this i think you should take a cue from joe
0: yeah and and then we uh i go into the questions from the field and just talk about networking and mm-hmm. and this idea that there's another option there's cold calling and then there's networking but people think about it as networking is just like well that's where you just spend a couple hours a week on something no i'm talking about getting up in the morning spending eight hours nine hours ten hours a day networking right. what does that even mean what do you do what actions do you take i cover all that in the questions from the field really but good we stuff Thank you, Patty. And then we switch gears a little bit. So tell us about the insider's report. Buy now, pay later.
1: And what's going on? in you know, an update in that field. Uh, you know, I think we've talked about it in the past that this is ripe for some kind of regulation. Um, it's getting riper.
0: Love it. And then, of course, our sponsor for this episode and all of our podcast episodes right now is NMI. You can go to nmi.com. Check out this amazing processor agnostic technology company that has a gateway, devices, all kinds of things. If you're looking for processor agnostic technology partner, definitely check out NMI.com. That being said, let's dive into our interview with Joan.
2: Let's do it. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast.
0: Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with Joan Winnington. She is the Director of Operations and Marketing for Metro Payment Technologies. How are you doing today, Joan? I'm
3: doing great. How are you?
0: I am doing fantastic. So Patty and I are going to talk to Joan about kind of this journey of an ISO that is built around referral partnerships, referral relationships, which is going to be a very interesting practical topic before we dive into that though. Uh, we'd love to get your backstory, Joan. How did you get into this crazy industry and tell us about your path to where you're at today at Metro?
3: Okay. Well, I started in the industry uh, actually going 19 years ago. I started out moonlighting as a part-time sales rep, the owner of the company, Mark Landis, um, his daughter and my daughter were in the same preschool together And I was the facilities director at the school. And he just thought I was working way too hard. I was carrying two phones. I had a big wad of keys. And one day he said, you should come work for me. And I made a joke and said, well, make me an offer I can't refuse. And a couple weeks later, I met with him and his wife. We had lunch. And they slid an envelope across the table and said, Here's the offer you can't refuse. And lo and behold, I've been here 19 years. Wow. Yeah. Did you get a bigger set of keys? (laughs) (laughs) No, but my daughter thought I was the most important person on the campus because I had the most, she said I had the most keys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. But yeah, it's
3: it's crazy how I got into it. And, uh, you know, we were actually working out of the basement of the house that I now own and live in. So it's kind of weird. Um, But I was in, I was a salesperson uh, prior to that in uh, chemical sales and equipment at okay. the company that we sold um, cleaning supplies and uh, kitchens, you know, kitchen cleaning stuff. And, sure. Um, wow. That's
0: awesome. I love it. So now talk to me about this journey a little bit though. So you come in as, it sounds like a part-time sales professional, now mm-hmm. director of operations and marketing. What were the stops along the way? Like tell, tell us, give us the 60 the second right. version of your career path there. I'm kind of curious.
3: Okay. Well, when I first started with with uh, Metro, we were actually Delaware Merchant Services, and okay. when I got there, I'm like, that makes us sound really small. Right. So we then changed our name to Metro Merchant Services. Um, I was a full time. I became a full time salesperson. And we had some internal changes in the office. Mark asked me to come in off the street. I was to my mom, you yeah, Mark took me off the street, um, and <laughs> I kind of like started run- started running things in the office. And lo and behold, here I am, eighteen years later, still in the office, but still the top salesperson with Metro. So um,
2: awesome.
3: we just kind of grew. We just started growing. You know, I was very gung ho and you have to believe in what you're selling. You really need mm-hmm. yes. to believe in what yes. you're doing. Oh, yeah. And uh, I totally believed in it. So we started hiring more salespeople. We hired, we got more agents on board. And uh, we, the biggest thing is we managed them well. Like we had a very good customer service department. So you know, I still have customers that I I signed up 19 years ago, wow. which is unheard of in this industry. Oh, That's yeah. amazing. So, yeah, it is wow. amazing. And a couple of years ago, I started doing a lot of um, technology integrations, with our customers and one of the customers said something that just hit me like a ton of bricks she said well, wait a minute you're you're a merchant services company you're not a technology company so we changed our name to metro payment Technologies so that we could prove that we were more of a technology company yeah. as much as a credit card processing company
1: that's a great example of letting
3: the
0: market define you right yep Yep. <laughs> i love that i love that yeah. so so, you know, in today's episode, Joan, you know, we've we've touched on this issue. We've had different people on mm-hmm. that have talked about the philosophy and the strategy and all of this. And today I want to get really, really practical and I want to like get into the weeds a little bit and make sure that our listeners really understand how to build out a network of referral, you know, partners, referral relationships. So what I thought would be a great way to start that conversation is if you could maybe go back in time and think about the first referral partnership that you had and talk to us about that. You know, how did you find it? Did it fall in your lap? Were you searching for it? And then what, what was that? Maybe give us a little bit of context there if you could.
3: Okay, sure. So it's all about networking, 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 networking. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is follow up, follow up, follow up. And one thing that, um, my customers and my referral partners have said is that you always did what you said you were going to do. And I think that's mm-hmm. really important. Yes. You know, know you've got to always, pro- if you make a promise, you have to stick to you it. Gotta stick yes. to so it. Mm-hmm. during a networking event, I ran into um, the uh, one of the, the senior management of a bank out of Philly, and they decided that they would like to partner with us. They didn't have a merchant services division. So we became their third party merchant services division. They had uh, locations in Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and basically, we laid out a whole plan with them—a whole uh, network of uh, ideas of how we could work with each one of their branches. We went to all the branches, we met all the managers, we met the loan officers who do the loans for the businesses, and all they do is had to do us a warm handoff to us. Right. Um, and that just kind of grew into uh, a many, many. Mer- Matter of fact, some of their merchants are still with us. Mm-hmm. The bank had subsequently sold. And they end up bringing having their own internal merchant services, but we still have some of the customers that signed up, you know, 20 years ago. Um, another relationship was with uh, Jackson Hewitt. We signed up one of their um, tax preparers, mm-hmm. and he was in, in New Jersey. Actually, it was in 2005. How crazy is that? And yeah. we we just kept pursuing the business and pursuing it, and he then started marketing us and internally to jackson hewitt network and now we have over 3,000
0: locations across the country so i'm really going to challenge your memory here joan and i want to i want (laughs) to go back to this to this bank okay so i've heard this before we met this bank magically here comes a partnership but i know that that's not how it happens because i have partnerships so (laughs) i want us to go back in time so first tell us you went to an event do you have any idea or recollection of what, what was this event why were you going to this event
3: it was um, like a net, it was more like a BNI networking event. Okay. Um, but it wasn't BNI. It was another, I can't remember who it was, Beyonce. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you and were then, going
0: to kind of a general business networking event. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Good. And so <clears throat> at this event, how did you end up, you know, when you talk about going to these BNI groups or Rotary Club or whatever it is, right? What what are you? What are your tips of like? What were you doing in order to end up having this conversation? You know, mm, what do you yeah. have to do at these at these networking events? You can't just sit there, eat your lunch, and leave. Like, what are you doing at these events to have this this connection?
3: You listen. You listen to what other people are saying. You listen to um, what their needs are. So um, we happen to be I happen to be talking to one of the you know powers that be there and found out that they did not have a merchant services division. They were trying to work with another vendor, but the vendor wasn't following up. So what was happening was um, they would give the lead off to the vendor. The vendor wouldn't follow up. And so then they were losing the deposit account because they you know going mm-hmm. somewhere else because they could get it all in one services. Sure. So um, I offered to do a full presentation to all the management uh, we put together a PowerPoint presentation. We, we back then, I think about some of the marketing materials we had that were pretty awful. but <laughs> um, but we believed in what we did. And I there think I that was the key. We were you know they knew that we believed in what we did. We stood behind what we said. and the customer service was key. We had an amazing customer service team. We still do to this day. We won awards for our customer service team. as <laughs> excuse me, it's all about service. Yeah, you know, if you you sure. can bring on all the accounts you want, but if you're not servicing them, right, they're not going to stay with you. And so when we went to meet with the management, they just believed in us. They believed that what we said we were going to do. We came off with confidence. We had, um, I I felt like there were decent uh, tools at the time as far as like showing sure. them what we could do.
0: They're relative to the competition at the time, right?
3: Oh my gosh, now it's like yeah. you know leap years of, a difference, yes. but. But again, it was because they could tell that we were passionate about what we did. We believed in what we did. And more importantly, we were gonna make them look good. Yes. Like we they gave us a lead, we followed on it up on it within a couple of hours. I mean, it wasn't like days, right. it was hours. And yep. um, and I always joke about going up onto Frankfurt Avenue and walking the streets with a couple of other branch managers, <laughs> going out and getting business for them. So yeah. you know, we weren't afraid to go out and I love cold calling. People always call me the cold calling queen. Like I love cold calling. I love meeting
0: people. And that was key to a successful relationship with them. So, okay. So again, I'm going to keep taking you back here. So you you have this initial conversation, right. And you, you talk to them, which was a result of you listening, you know, identifying a need and having a conversation, but then how did you actually, you know what I'm sure it wasn't a straight line from there to active referral relationship. So what, what do you have to do to get from that point of having the conversation to then where did you, how did you arrange to have like a meeting with the appropriate decision makers and talk about that a little bit if you, again, whether it's that one specifically or just in general is fine, but just curious, you know?
3: No, yeah. I, I, the most important thing is to find out who the decision makers are and then convincing them. We're actually actively involved in a couple other referral, developing a couple of referral partnerships with some uh, credit unions and banks. And they take longer. I mean, because you have a lot more people involved and their boards and all that good stuff. But it, again, it's follow up. Is making sure that they understand how the relationship's going to work, um, giving them the path of least resistance. They don't want to do a lot of the work. They want to do the handoff, and they right. want to know that their customers are in good good hands. Um, the other thing that we did a lot of was once we solidified the relationship that, yes, they wanted us to be their merchant services provider, we created a landing page, like a form page where each branch should just go in and put in the lead, tell us what, what branch it came from, and then we would then follow up with that manager and then follow up with the customer. And then we also had a CRM system that we gave the branch managers and the, the senior leadership logins to, and they can actually see the progression of each lead where, where it went, whether it, it, it signed up, whether it you know they decided to hold off or whatever the case may be. So it was giving them the tools that they could see what was happening. Yeah. Then we also offered incentives. We offered their branch managers, their tellers, $50 incentive. If they uh, refer somebody, we signed them up, then we actually gave them gave them the catch. The other thing that we did at, at uh, I think it was Thanksgiving and Christmas, both, we gave them turkeys. So we went up with, and people who didn't like turkeys, we got them ham. So, you know, was,
1: yeah. what about the vegetarians? Well, exactly. Well, know, we didn't
3: have that at the time. Uh, but, tofurky um, they had. Right? <laughs> right, right, right. But so after, I, again, after we remember the senior management team, it was them having confidence that we were going to work directly with yeah. each branch and that we were going to hold their hand and that they weren't going to have to put a lot of time and energy into it sure. that would take them away from their regular duties.
0: Sure. And I realized that I'm like miles off script of what I was planning to talk about, but I, I just, okay. I, I want to just one more question. Then I want to get back on track with the other questions I had here. But um, so kind of restating this, you went to a business networking group. There's plenty mm-hmm. of groups in the community that they could look at, you know, whether that be yeah. the chamber of commerce, the rotary club, the BNI group, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You, at that group, you found, Hey, there's somebody here that represents the bank. You mm-hmm. had a conversation to learn their needs. You found out that they, you know, could, you know, be helped and have value by having a, a referral relationship. You were able to get the the meetings, uh, emphasize customer service and all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it sounds like the other thing that you just said was you had this onboarding process uh, for leads. <clears throat> you made it really easy for them to send and track the leads that they sent to you. How important was that? Because I know one of the other big things is it's one thing to get a referral relationship. It's another thing to get deals from a referral relationship. So talk about how establishing kind of a concrete flow impacted, uh, you know, these early relationships that you had. Well, communication
3: is key. And, you know, obviously information is key. So when we, um, by using the tools, the online tools for the relationship, it made it so much easier for them to see what was happening, um, we had to make some changes into some of the ways that the um, the branches were promoting the services, or or the way that they were pitching it, so to speak, to their businesses. Um, it was just fine tuning things as we went along. And then if uh, an account decided not to board with us, the Q, you know we actually would go back and say, okay, why did that account not not board with us? In most cases, they were just not processing enough per month to justify paying a monthly fee. I mean, that was probably ninety five percent of reason why they didn't join us. Sure. Um, but it, it was giving them the tools to, to see the progress. And then also they could log in and they could see their commission reports. So mm. we, we would do the commissions once a month, they'd get their sure. report and they could see what they were doing. We would give them, um, you know, um, statistics on which branches were doing the most and which individuals were, were doing the most work. And then they were rewarding them as well. So they were trying to, it's kind of like a competition, you know, like everybody, mm-hmm. you know, Wants to do better than the other person, so that was that was really key was making sure that they had clear paths to the information they wanted. That we were communicating with them all the time. I mean, that was really like mostly what I just did for probably a good six to eight months was just working with the branches until everything was smoothly working and they were just flipping us the the leads to the through the website.
0: Love it. So after saying all that, you know, looking back at what you were doing then versus what you have now. What would be the main thing that you'd say, oh, if only I would have known then, you know, this would have been so much easier to get more referral partners or get them on board more quickly. What are, what are maybe one or two key points that if you could go back in time, you would uh, change or improve?
3: You know what? I think it's asking for the referrals. I think that, you know, it's mm. sometimes, you know, you don't think about asking your existing customer for referrals and some of them can turn out to be re- very good referral partners. Um yes. We end up getting a um, IS, uh, ISV company that does the software for moving companies. And that came from another you know, another one of our customers who happened to use this guy's software. He said, hey, you should contact him. We did, and lo and behold, now he, he sends his business to us. He ties right into our gateway and all the processing goes through, through Metro. So it's just asking for it. Don't be afraid to go back to your existing customers and ask them for referrals. I mean, if they love you, going to give you referrals like who else do you know and a lot of them are you know different industries have different associations Mm -hmm. so it's important to find out what associations are they involved in and then get it ask them to invite you as a guest so we've been Mm -hmm. invited to many other um, associations that some of our customers are involved in like we have a big orchard we have some very large orchards and there's an orchard association so we said hey Mm -hmm. invite us to the orchard association um accounting firms are great you know they're they've got the statements right there in their hands so build a relationship with the accounting firm and not just with the accounting firm, but with their bookkeepers who are doing the hands-on work for yeah. their businesses. Yeah. Um, it's really about just getting in the trenches and, and digging deep in to who is right in front of the customer and has access to the information that we need to be able to close that customer. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing is I always make sure I do is I never walk away from a customer without planting the seed of what the next step is. I, I always have an, a next plan in place. I never go back and say, oh, well, call me when you when you make a decision. It's like, okay, so I'm going to give you a call on Thursday at three o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, you think you'll have a decision by then. So it's important to plant that that seed of when are we going to follow up again so that things just don't kind of fall by the wayside.
1: Yeah, that's really important. I know we talk about that a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm curious though, Joan, you know, uh, about how verticals play into the strategy, most of your you, you talked about the orchards and the and the moving company for example mm-hmm. um is is that a major focus you know in terms of referral partners sending over specific business types or is it
3: broader than that it's much broader than that we have referral partners in many different industries um automotive hair salons um it's really key to finding who are they 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 talk among themselves. You know, they are sure. asking like, what are you using? You know, what should we use? It's it's getting into those, those groups where they can help you plant the seed that, hey, we can do your credit card processing. And it's also staying up with the technology. Um, Jackson Hewitt obviously is a big customer of mine, and mm-hmm. I'm going to their conference next week. And the one of the key players there had left the company two years ago and went to a CBD company. And the first thing he was he was out in the parking lot, hadn't even like called anybody else and said, hey, get ready. You know, these guys need credit card processing. And back then, you know, the CBD business was kind of a more of a high risk business. But right. we, found, we found key partners involved. It's, it's all about making sure that who you also partner with mm-hmm. to, that they're going to make you look good. And that that right. was significant. So we partnered with with another bank that did the um, uh, credit card Uh, processing for CBD stores. We laid out a whole process. We created a landing page that the stores could go to, put in their information. We would get a notification that they filled it out and boom, we were off to the races. And anything that you can do online is key. So they can go, go to one page, they can fill out the MPA, and the instructions are there to do it. They can sign up for all their hardware, pay for the hardware right on the same page. They can sign up for the software package right on the same page. And now what we also did is we built a custom point of sale system for retail. Mm -hmm. and we named it Sunfire POS for their Metro brand, but we rebranded it for them with their logo, their color, so that it looks like it's their custom built POS system. And we have done a ton of customization. We beta tested it with their owners and said, hey, you know, this is an owner's system. Tell us what you need, what what will make this so much better for you. And so now we're getting ready to roll it out to the rest of the 600 stores. So it was really cool to do that. Um, We're also... the Sunfire POS. we can also, uh, we're going to be rolling that out to, so other ISOs and agents can have access to it. It's, and I think the biggest thing is it's heavily supported. When we did a survey, everybody said on a scale of one to five, what was our customer service? And we got fives straight across the board. Because if they had an issue, they would need to call somebody and have somebody there right away to help them. And so we have some of our employees decided to work second shift. So we have a on-call scheduled for the evening because a lot of the stores are in the, in the West Coast. So, you know, 7 o'clock their time, 7 o'clock our time. They're also open on weekends. So we have a rotating shift of our employees who take that um, time and we give them comp time or pay, whatever they want to do. And uh, so we're heavily supporting the POS as well as credit card processing. And everybody joked, oh, now you're in the, uh, you know, technology uh, software business, and it's a whole different world than credit card processing. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's good. you know, and li- listening to what they needed was key. So we talk to our developers every week, every day. We, we text message, we email, We have two weekly calls a week to go over everything um, that has happened with support tickets and um, and what the what the owners need. and then we have a spreadsheet that we share that has all the different ideas, changes, updates enhancements and then we prioritize them based on what's critical and then what's a wish list item. Cool. So being wow. in the technology world is um has really helped us and yeah having... yeah pretty cool. In fact
1: that was that was a question I had it was sort of like where you <laughs> are in the technology world. I mean you talked about the POS you t- talked about um integrated payments um uh, what else is on the on the
3: so- menu Another big thing that we did a few years ago was we noticed that our customers, a lot of customers didn't have ability to take donations or to have their customers pay online um, without spending a lot of money to have a a programmer develop it for them. Uh So we created what we we call a payment portal. It's a customer-facing payment portal. And there's three different levels. It's a standard out of the box where we can just plug it into the back of the Customer's website and it has it's it's branded with their logo and their address and all that, but the colors are are a standard color. Mm-hmm. Then we have a semi-custom where when you hit the URL when you hit the payment button it takes them to a, a third our third-party URL, but it still looks like you're on the same page, mm-hmm. and it's fully customized. And it looks like you're you're truly on the same page as the customer. And then we have a, a 100% uh, fully integrated where it's actually integrated inside of their website. So offering those payment pages was key because, like apartment complexes, yeah. um, trailer parks, sure, uh, camping places. You know, they want all their people to pay their dues and pay their. Um, we actually have a couple of um, organizations like BNI. They're they're going to start using our payment portal to take payments for some of their um, some of their locations. Are using so that was key. Giving them a customer facing way of making payments. City Dollar City, same thing. All of their utilities are paid through our payment portal.
0: You know, so, Joe, one of the things I'm getting out of this conversation that I just, I just think is so important, and I, I really want to emphasize it to our audience, and that is, I think there's this misunderstanding about building a referral network and building an ISO through networking and referral. There's this misunderstanding that you have these two options. Option one is you work really hard at cold calling, and you go out and you walk into 20, 30, 40 businesses a day, mm-hmm. and you build your business that way. Then there's this other way where you go to networking events twice a week and hope that the phone rings. (laughs) Yes. And then everybody's always like, James, I I don't know this networking. I can never get that to work. And I'm like, it's not that you can't get it to work. It's that you can't get yourself to work. Yes. Like the way to do this is that you get up in the morning and you work, right? (laughs) And you say, okay, are there any meetings today? And if there are, when I attend that meeting, I'm going to be actively speaking with people Yes. learning about their needs, then I'm going to be taking business cards. And when I leave the event, I'm going to go right back to my office and I'm going to email every single one of these people with the next action steps that we agreed to when we spoke and ask them which day next week they would like to have that meeting and what time it should be, yeah. right? And then once you run out of that to do, then you go on LinkedIn and you look up the company and you say, well, who else works there? And you connect with them. Once they connect with you, you send them a message. Yeah. Hey, I spoke to so-and-so last week. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, right. you right. work. Right. You know,
3: I've always been a fan of, you know, plan your day, work your plan and try not to deviate from that. And you don't be you're not planning your day during critical time at nine o'clock in the morning. You plan your day the night before or early in the morning before your day starts. Another key thing that people can do and it's really work is when you go to these events where people are winning awards. um, I always write down who won the award, what would be what company and if they give the name of the person. And I always send a congratulatory card with my business card in it. Um, and I think that that goes a long way, so that when you're calling them, you say, "Hey, I saw that you won such and such award." Um, it makes them realize, "Wow, you're paying attention to what what we're doing." Yeah. And, and you're right, James. It is you have to put in the time. And so when we go to the events and our agents collect the business cards, um, well, our sales reps, I shouldn't say agents, we we have them come back and we scan them into a program that cr- puts them into a an Excel spreadsheet. And then we take that Excel spreadsheet and we upload it into our CRM and then we create a campaign where we actively market to them. So recently, you know about the Visa Mastercard Settlement, correct? Where yes. okay. okay? So not only our existing merchants, but we went back to all of our canceled merchants. We went back to all of the everybody that we've ever had touched in, in our business, we have in a in a database, and we put together a campaign and we sent information to them, letting them know, hey, you don't have to be our merchant, but there's money out there that potentially is yours. And even if it's $5, it's still your $5. Right. And we have just seen a plethora of response to that. And yep. so you got to be, you got to think out of the box. You can't yep. just do, you know, walk in, I'm just going to sell credit card processing. Yep. You know, you've got to find a way in. And this is a way in yep. to customers that we would have never had a way into that said, hey, you guys are looking out for us. Our own credit card processing company isn't doing that for us. And then right. it's like, oh, well, by the way, send us a statement. You can see when you save
0: money. And, you know, yeah. you're off to the yeah, you know, It's really interesting, Joan. Like right before I recorded this, I was talking to um, Matt Markham is one of our new employees. And um, he works on the ISO AMP uh, side of our business where we have the technology for training and statement analysis and things like that. So it's like subscription services to ISOs.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: he started, I think, maybe like a month ago. and just now I was talking to him and you know, he's closed like I think three or four deals already this week. And and the idea is we've talked about it and it's like every day he is on LinkedIn and it's like part of when I go mm-hmm. into his office and I see him on LinkedIn, scrolling through his feed and commenting on other people's posts. Yes. That's not him taking a break. Nope. Like it's intentional. He is yeah. engaging with these people And then he's telling me, hey, you know, I I started messaging with this CEO of this company because I saw his post and I sent him a message about this acquisition. And and it's like, he's brand new to this business. (laughs) And I'm telling you, this guy's already connected to, I don't know, 70 CEOs in the payments industry because we, you know, we're working it. We're We're Mm -hmm. on Zoom Info, we're on LinkedIn, we're paying for whatever subscriptions we have to pay for to get the data and we're reaching out and we're engaging. And it's like, you just do this. All day, every day. And what I think is amazing about it, Joan, is in my personal opinion, what I've seen, the networking side, if, if you're actually going to put eight hours a day, 10 hours a day into networking, like legitimately working at it that much, mm-hmm. it's going to pay way bigger dividends than eight hours a day of cold calling. Oh, absolutely. But eight hours a day of cold call- calling pays a lot better than two hours a week of networking. Agree. You know what I'm saying? And yep. that's, I think, the big struggle that the agents have. So, um, okay. So let, let's talk real quick here before we end this, because this has been so interesting. Yes. Um, what are you looking for, Joan, with with our audience? What are are you looking for agents? Are you looking for ISOs? What's kind of the criteria where somebody listening would say, "Hey, I mean, it might be a good fit to actually work with Metro."
3: Anybody that's looking for a company that they can they can be heavily supported by. So we have a full. A training program for agents. So, we don't just come in and hand them a book and say, Go out there on the street and go do this. We have uh, all kinds of training tools. We go out with them. We're on the phone with them. We help them close deals. Like, we don't, we show them what to do to be successful. Yeah. We have a lot of tools in house that we use. Like I said, we do these, actually, we do these campaign marketing. Um, we do, we have all kinds of tools to help them be successful. We have bonus programs so that can help them to earn some bonuses up front to support themselves so they get their residual base coming in. Um, as far as ISOs, if they're looking for an ISO that will heavily support their customers so they don't have to be on the phone, you know, I've got a I've got a problem with my credit card machine or my I can't get my gateway to process an invoice or whatever, you know, they'll be with a company that truly supports them and they can just go out and sell. They don't have to be in the back end. You know hands on with the customers. I mean it's good that they still keep in touch with their customers, but they're not putting out the fires like we are. Right. Mm-hmm. So um and then also the fact that we've got all this technology. So anybody is looking for a technology ISO, which is what we now consider ourselves, we have a lot of technology that is beneficial to customers and to agents. Um, and like I said, one of these big things is a customized point of sale. I mean there's so many point of sale systems out there that are out of the box. So what mm-hmm. happens is you know the customers buy this system and they they if they want a specific report or they need a certain field or whatever, they it, it's pulling IT to get that done. Or nope, you just gotta deal with what we have because this is what you bought. Whereas we are like, okay, we will sell this to you, but we will also make the customizations so that it can better best help your business to grow and manage your business going forward. Mm-hmm. So yep. um Good the job. fact that the fact that we are extremely hands-on. It comes all the way down from the owner. Mark Landis is, you know, cut from the same cloth. Customer service is key. We always say we're a better service organization than sales organization. Um, but we do, I mean, sales is important, obviously. But again, service is what's really key and what's kept us in business all these years. Mm. If you go to the Better Business Bureau and look us up, we have an A-plus rating, zero complaints. Now, how many ISOs do you know in this business have <laughs> not one wow. single complaint? Like, Not, not right. even one, right? right? So that's almost unheard of. So... The fact that's because we respond and we put out the fires very quickly to the point where customers aren't going to other means to, to figure things out. Right. They know uh, they can reach you. Yep. And social media is key. We've been coming. Um, we hired a, a sales manager who is really big on LinkedIn. It's funny you say that, James, because LinkedIn has been really, oh, really beneficial for him to developing relationships.
0: Yep. So I, I couldn't agree more. So where would you send people in our audience if they wanted to learn more about uh, working with uh, Metro Payment Technologies?
3: Well, they go to the metropaytech.com or they can give us a call at 800-771-3719 and uh, just hit option two or option three two is service, three is sales. But either way, you'll get to somebody here and uh, we'll be happy to talk with them. And give if us that phone number
0: uh, one more time, if you would, John.
3: Um, 800-771-3719 or metropaytech.com. com. Awesome.
0: Joan, thank you so much for your time today. I really you're thought welcome. this was a great episode. Very practical. I think a lot of actionable insights, as Patty likes to call it. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> I really appreciate it.
3: Well, you know what? You got to start each day with a smile. And you got when you get up in the morning, you got to say, you know what? This is going to be my best day ever. Yep. And you've got a positive attitude. You yes. know, if, you, if you just get up and say, oh, another day of cold calling or another day of networking, you're not going to be successful. You have to believe in what you do. And enjoy it. And I do. I've been
1: doing it 19 years and I love it. So It comes out in your smile and in your (laughs) conversation.
0: Oh, thanks, Patty. (laughs) Well, thanks. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you. You too. So Patty, I want to talk today about our sponsor NMI.com and about Mm -hmm. the unique position that they play in the market, especially for companies that are transitioning to a focus on software. Yeah. So... You know, ultimately, there are a lot of moving parts when it comes to creating whether it's a payfac, mm-hmm. which is happening a lot, a wholesale ISO, mm-hmm. even banks who are trying to get into this. But the idea is NMI is sitting in the middle between the payment provider, like the the FSP or the payfac, whatever it might be. Right? right? They're sitting in between that and the technology, mm-hmm. and they have a full merchant enablement platform with omni-channel solutions. And so, if you say, you know. I'm looking for a technology partner that's not looking to take a piece of the payments, mm, mm-hmm, right? They right. are focused on the technology. You want the payments revenue mm-hmm. and you want something that's going to allow you to, you know, really have a seamless integration with the software with the technology right. piece right. that partner today, without a doubt, the leader in that would be NMI.com. Mm-hmm. So again, they have their gateway, but they have so much more than that because they have the full merchant enablement and omni-channel solution. Mm -hmm. You don't have to get your EMV certification as an organization. You don't have to get potentially PCI compliance and and all of that because they sit in the middle and allow you to do all of that. So if you want to learn more about NMI.com, just go to NMI.com and uh, click on the contact us. They have case studies, they have insights, all of this. Check it out. I think you're going to love it. Go to NMI.com and make sure you tell them that you uh, found out about them on the Merchant Sales Podcast. And thank you.
2: This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard.
0: So, in Questions from the Field, uh, I am going to continue the conversation we were just having in the interview about networking. Um, And so, you know, I am very, very passionate about this. And you know why I'm so passionate about this, Patty? It is because I dropped the ball so badly with it when I was actually selling merchant services full time. Really interesting. Yes. So Ah. I would say that when I was selling merchant services full time, I was very good at getting referrals from my existing clients and maintaining a great relationship with my clients. Mm -hmm. But I was doing no proactive networking to get clients. Mm -hmm. And I really, in looking back, think that was my biggest mistake because now uh, the businesses that I have and the you know success I've achieved at this point in my career, which from a financial perspective is massively more than what I was achieving then, sure, is almost entirely from networking. Um, and I now network like crazy all the time, and it is unbelievable to me how much opportunity exists when you are networking. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And again, though, the disconnect here is I think a lot of, of our listeners they hear that and they say. Okay, I get it. You know, if I was really well known and had lots of connections, I'm sure I would get a lot of value out of networking as well. That's
1: not it. That's not it. I mean, Joan's a perfect example. I mean, she might be well known in her little town, but, you know, not in these industries. And
0: as I mentioned during the interview, I think even a better example is Matt Markham, who literally, you can look him up on LinkedIn, he literally just started working for me a month ago. With zero connections in the payments industry. Mm -hmm. I have not made a single introduction for him. Not one. I probably should have, but I haven't. I literally have not, no one that I know have I said, hey, I got this new business development guy that you should talk to. His name is Matt. Like no one. I haven't done it with anybody. And he is slammed right now with doing demos and talking to people and closing. I mean, every day I go over there and, oh, I sold these three people today. I mean, every day increasing recurring revenue, a huge amount. It's like unbelievable. And he's going to make a ton of money working with me Mm -hmm. and the reason is because he's networking so what i wanted to do in this little short version is i just want to break down what how do you get up in the morning and network Mm -hmm. what does that even mean (laughs) you know what i mean so i want to talk about the key steps to take in order to do this okay so it's very very simple and again the advice i'm giving right now is for that person that says i want to maybe maybe i don't want a cold call i'd rather do networking that can't be an excuse to say i want to work less so How do you work as much or more networking as you would cold calling? So here you go. Ready? Number one is create a professional LinkedIn profile. That is number one on the list. If you're into networking today, LinkedIn is where you live. All right? Mm -hmm. So number one is create a LinkedIn profile. And when I say professional, I mean you got a good headshot you have a good uh, a short description of what you do you know all check all the boxes i'm not going to dive into detail I'll go to youtube and watch a video on how to make a great linkedin profile so, mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. so make it a good linkedin profile number 2 join at least 2 or 3 Networking groups in your community, again, depending on your belief system and, and the types of organizations you would align with. I would say this is Chamber of Commerce, this is the Rotary organization, this is BNI, and there are many, many others, right? Sure, um, sure. And so look at what groups exist that are just purely networking for business owners in your community. Now, mm-hmm. when I say join them, I mean become a passionate Active. promoter right. of this organization. You have to buy into the organization. -hmm. Um, I joined Rotary about um, I guess about a year ago now, and I my uh we switched to an attorney that goes to Rotary with me. Uh We have switched to a bank that goes to Rotary with me. Mm -hmm. Um, who else been doing business? We switched to an insurance provider for our employees that goes to Rotary with me. Um, and I could name a few others that we've done business with. And so the idea is. You come to Rotary with, you know, or whatever organization with the attitude of, what can I bring to the other members here? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: When something comes up that everybody donates to, you donate. Right. Right. When the opportunity comes up to volunteer, you you volunteer. volunteer. Uh, Just, you know what I was actually, you probably be surprised by this actually, buddy. Would you like to know what I was doing yesterday morning for my entire morning? What's that? I was washing dirty pots and pans at a local soup kitchen.
1: Wow. That's now I don't say that cool. in any way
0: to brag or boast about. No, no, about no. That. But that was
1: part of your rotary. Yes, uh, and rotary, servers,
0: right? Yeah, I found out. Oh, rotary does this thing where once every—it's not like every day. It's like once every two months. Right. You know, they have a, a rotation, and every couple of months, you go and you wash pots and pans and help out at the local soup kitchen. So Excellent. I said, "Oh, that's what you do at rotary." I'm in. Yeah. Right. right. And so you jump in and you get involved, right? Mm-hmm. So two mm-hmm. or three organizations, you get involved, and so that becomes your your first constraint is. I'm going to do whatever I can do within reason. You don't want to seem desperate, but like within reason, I'm going to be reasonably involved with all two or three of these organizations. That's in your schedule first. Mm-hmm. Right. Every event that you go to, you walk in very positive. Right. You walk in uh, dressed at least as well as everybody else, if not maybe a cut above, unless that's not your personality, then you dress however, you know, but you come in with, you know, uh, being appropriate, right, for right. the event. Then you talk to people and mostly you listen, right? Listening. I have not told a single person at the rotary, which is the new organization, newest one for me. I've not told a single person there what I do unless they have asked me one of my rules. Mm -hmm. If I, if I can't get, if I can't get enough conversation going with someone that they believe that they need to ask me what I do, then I'm not doing a good job and Mm -hmm. I will never tell someone what I do unless they ask me. So my question is, what do you do? Right. Right. What are the, oh, well, that sounds interesting. What are the challenges that you're facing with that? Mm-hmm. How's the current market affecting it? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just asking them question, question, question. And I'm having a great conversation with them where they're feeling heard. And then they say, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And then I talk about that. Now, here's my next tip on this make sure you have rehearsed the answer to the question, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. And you have a 30 second answer. Right that answers that question and leaves them wanting to know more information. Mm-hmm. You want to just, just answer the question of what you do, right? Not why you do it or anything else. Let them ask you follow-up questions. Yeah. But so the idea right. is let these people in the group feel like they're getting to know you, which they are because they're asking questions. So right. make a professional LinkedIn profile, go to these groups and get really involved. Number three, everybody in the group you connect with on LinkedIn. Right. Right. Then that, that's a no brainer. Um, Number four is now use LinkedIn sales navigator, which I personally think is like the best sales tool in existence right now Mm -hmm. um, for people that are selling B2B. Use LinkedIn sales navigator to find additional people to connect with. Mm -hmm. Send them a connection request. Don't put a note in the connection request because that looks spammy. Just send them a connection request. Once they accept your connection request, then you respond to them with a message that just says, hey, great to connect with you here. And that's it, right? Now what you're gonna do is you're gonna go through your LinkedIn feed every day mm-hmm. and you're gonna comment when appropriate. You don't want to seem like a stalker, right. but you also want to, if you see something that's of interest, comment under it. Mm-hmm. See something that somebody got a new job, somebody changed careers, somebody, you know, accomplished something. Hey, right. this is awesome. Congratulations, right? right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, commenting then once you've engaged with somebody in the in the feed, right, then send them a LinkedIn message. Hey, I saw that post about whatever. That's great. Congratulations on that. I would love to get together with you and buy you lunch. I would love to talk to you, whatever. You know, we should connect next time I'm at uh, next time I'm at the BNI, you know, and, and you, you email about next action steps, right? Right. right. Um, so that's something that you do. Um, and then finally, you go out and again, you leverage both LinkedIn and a tool like uh, Zoom Info. That's kind of expensive, but there's other ones you can utilize, but use these tools that have more data to look up. Companies and be really intentional and say, okay, if I was out prospecting, which companies would I go to? Mm -hmm. But now your approach is networking, so you're saying, okay, so who are who are the people at this company? Let me find them on LinkedIn. Let me find them on Zoom Info. Let me find them on Google Maps, whatever it is. Right. Reach out with the intention of networking. The reason I'm reaching out to you is I'm a member of the BNI Rotary Club and other local organizations, and I realize that I've never met you before. And I like to know local business owners. I do some business with local business owners. I'm sure you do as well. I'd love to meet up and just talk to you more about that. Would you have time if I stopped by your business to drop off a business card and say hello? And you walk in and you do just that. Right. And you do a networking visit. Well, it's like mm-hmm. a cold call, but it's not because you call it first and you're doing a networking visit. Right. Again, you don't tell them what you do until they ask you. So that's to me, the networking kind of law there. So anyway, some, a few tips for you. Um, but I would say again, there's, there's real money to be made with networking and there's big money to be made with networking. Like, like we talked about with Joan. I mean, you could find a bank that needs a, a referral. There's actually, it's funny, well, when I went to Rotary, one of the first things I had met up with was a bank who needed a payment processor that they could work with. Um, now, I don't I, I don't have time to deal with that kind of thing anymore, but I was able to connect into one of my consulting clients that works with banks. And uh-huh. I went out to lunch with the, the bank president and some other people. and I made some great connections with them. And we're actually doing now some banking with them as well. Um, but you know, that resulted in, if I was, if I had my own ISO, I would have absolutely closed that easily. Mm -hmm. And that was literally within maybe a month of joining the the rotary that I had that meeting. So uh, there's a lot of big money to be made there. Um, but again, you've got to step out of your comfort zone. And in my case, you got to step out of your comfort zone. I'm not a networker. People always assume that I am. I'm really not. I'm the guy that goes to the show. I was at the WSAA. I spoke, I hung around for a couple hours, went back to my hotel. I got, I had a couple of dinner meetings and then I got out of there like, you know, I didn't even go to the exhibit hall. You know what I mean? Like I'm not the networker. Like I had to really come out of my comfort zone to do that. But you can do that. And when you come out of your comfort zone and you network, the opportunities that you get are just massive. So I would encourage you to maybe try to go down that path a little bit, see how it feels. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. You know? So anyway, that, there's my tips for the day on networking. Got
2: me all psyched. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, the Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading the Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com.
1: So, James, I think the CFPB, you know, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, That's a real hard acronym to slide off your tongue, but I think they're about to drop the hammer on buy now, pay later schemes.
0: Really? Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, Last week, the the agency, uh, well, actually back in December, you'll recall, they launched an investigation into this business uh, requesting detailed information from the five largest players. Um, Affirm, Afterpay, Klarna, PayPal, and Zip. And, and uh, just as a, you know, sort of background, the CFPB, and some people may not know, was created under the uh, Dodd-Frank Act back yes. in 2008. Financial Reform Act. Financial Reform Act. And it has an um, enforcement authority over all providers of credit, including non-bank providers like BNPL. Um, now, you know, we know that BNPL has been rising to prominence over the past decade, but it really took off during the pandemic, you know, and. Um, In the past, the schemes tend to concentrate on like apparel and beauty sectors, you know, high end clothing. They've branched out now and include travel, which of course you gave us an example of that recently, Mm -hmm. pet care, which I've taken advantage of numerous times, and groceries, which really surprises me actually. But um, and it's become ubiquitous online, you know, there's a so the agency estimates that since 10, since 2020. Uh, they've seen a tenfold increase in usage.
0: Wow! In two years. In two years. <clears throat> so surprised me.
1: So when it you know sent out these uh, questionnaires to the firms and it did an analysis and they found that um they're, they're you know these firms are um, approving more loans seventy three percent in twenty twenty one compared to sixty nine percent in twenty twenty. Late fees are up. Delinquencies are on the rise. Charge offs rates grew from 1.83 in 2020 to 2.39 in 2021. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Rohit uh, Chopra, who's director of CFPB, said in the statement that he's concerned that these firms are building business models that are dependent on digital surveillance. So not only are they concerned about the debt load, but they're concerned about the data mining. Yeah, sure. Um, you know. Uh, he said, "Buy now, pay later" is mimic parts of big tech surveillance model to harvest and monetize data in ways that banks and credit unions have typically avoided. You know, they can leverage data. This is was interesting. He said they could can leverage data and in user interface design to gamify shopping and lending, which I find you know very yeah, interesting. Sure. But I see how it applies particularly to younger, you know, to people in Gen Z and Gen X and. Yep. Uh, um, he said the investigation ID ID'd several areas where these firms are not providing the same rights and protections that credit card companies are obligated to provide.
3: Yeah. For
1: example, they don't have clear and concise disclosure of terms, um, as other lenders must, and they don't have really clear dispute resolution steps. So I think those mm. are things that are going to be easily, you know, sort of the first uh, prong in trying to yeah. regulate these firms. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, there's the data harvesting. You know, um, you know, there are, these interfaces enable firms to use data to determine what products we see through paid product placement, which, of course, opens yeah. the door to, you know, even bigger things like um, potential to price products based on our behavior, for example.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, the the big data stuff is crazy where, you know, they, they know how, how price sensitive I might be for an item versus someone else. Yep. And all of a sudden they, you know, that, and that's, that's an interesting thing. I mean, I actually really believe that one of the main areas of legislation, this is a bit off topic, but I mean, Mm -hmm. this idea of pricing consistency Mm -hmm. is a big deal. I mean, it's no secret that, I mean, Amazon is really the king of this. One of the big ways they make money is, you know, you and I are simultaneously looking at the same product and the price is different. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, I I'm not about sure how market. I feel.
1: I mean, there's part of me that says if I get the lower price, I like it. Right. right, right. <laughs> but, but yeah. in terms of, you know, the grander team.
0: Yeah. And I think it's kind of, to me, it's more an issue of how are we getting, how are you getting lower price? Right. Like, right. You know, if you're just saying, you know, in other words, I guess the real question is what data, and this is the same thing with this BNPL, what data should be able to be lawfully used in pricing, Products. Yeah, I, I I think that that is. You know, should you should you be able to hit a data provider and find out my income, and then that determines the price of the product? I don't think so. I think that crosses a moral that line. Crosses a
1: line. Yeah, I mean, especially if they're looking into things like our income, right? Right. right. Um, well, I could see
0: maybe I could see maybe saying past purchasing behavior right. on their site. Right. Patty mm-hmm. likes to buy blue jeans. Right. Right. <laughs> you yes. know, and they but, and they know what you've paid for blue jeans in the past. Right. And so they're using their own data to dictate something that's for the free market. Right. But for them to say, well, you've never purchased blue jeans before, but this is the first time on our site, but I know that you make X. Right. So here's how we're going to price your blue jeans. Uh, I think that's crossing a line. I, I agree. I agree. And, and um, I think same for the BNPL. You know what I mean? They're, they're going to, yeah. you know, make, they're going to, you know, and I could see them kind of saying, well, we know how much available BNPL credit this consumer has. Mm hmm. So let's base the pricing based on that and say, here's a bundle of things that you should, could buy. And guess what? You don't have to pay anything for it today. Yeah. Yeah. So I can see that being a pretty big problem over time.
1: I could see that being a problem, especially, you know, there's people I know who are not, shall we say, financially savvy. Yeah. Right. Sure. Who see things like that and say, oh, great. I didn't yeah. pay anything for this. I'm going to take it. Right. You know, and then a few months later, they're like, oh, my God, how can I pay this bill down? Right. Um, and I think that's, for example, why these delinquencies are up and the charge-offs are up. Um, there's a lot of people I know personally of people who are taking advantage of these schemes who should not be taking advantage of these schemes, yep. you know, who have like four or five, six of these BNPLs outstanding. And, you know, it's like wait, you know, I, I, one person in particular, I'm thinking of who wants to buy a house. I'm like the first way you can buy a house is stop having all this you know, monthly yeah. money going out to something that's not even being reported to the credit bureau for you. Exactly. You exactly. know? So, yep. Yep. so anyway, yeah. so I'm just, just to wrap up what uh, what the CFPB is talking about, they, you know, they want to come up with interpretive guidance or rules to ensure that uh, these firms, you know, adhere to the baseline protections, credit Mm. protections, um, curbing data surveillance, and, um, you know, ensuring that they're subject to the same regulatory examinations as credit card companies, whether that be through federal or state regulators. Mm. Um, So here's just a quick, um, you know, thing is, uh, Choper said, with near with roughly 900 billion in outstanding credit card debt and buy now pay later lending rapidly gaining share. We're going to continue to make sure that this product is fair, transparent, and competitive. Mm-hmm. Now, I was writing this up this morning before our podcast, you know, coming up with my thoughts when I got an email that just sort of blew my mind. It was from an ISO that was using um, a buy now, pay later, selling a buy now, pay later service from Quick Fee, mm-hmm. who was informed that Quick Fee is getting out of the business effective October 15th.
0: No more BNPL for Quick Fee.
1: No more BNPL from Quick Fee. Now, I don't think that this is a direct result of, of, the, of the CFPB, but okay. I'm wondering if it might be a direct result of you know, charge offs and delinquencies, things like uh- that.
0: Well, that, um, that, and I think also think about the competitive pressure of Apple, yes. you know, getting into the business. I think that also had a big impact on why they're doing this whole regulatory deep dive, because sure. if Apple's going to get into it, you know, Apple has uh, a fair bit of data at their disposal. <laughs> a
1: whole right. lot of data at their disposal, yeah. And, you know, and so I think that, let's put it this way, the, the horse isn't necessarily out of the gate, but it's getting ready to run, <laughs> you know, and if they don't do something soon um it could you know it could have um implications for the credit card industry yeah and it could have you know dire consequences for consumers yeah less savvy consumers perhaps
0: right right sure well very interesting stuff patty it'll be interesting to see how the bnpl develops over the next 12 to 36 months you know
2: yeah thank you for listening to the merchant sales podcast whether you are an industry veteran processing executive